picture this life with me for just a minute. You wake up in the morning. You've got a spouse. You turn over in bed. You look at your spouse, and the thought in your head is, I wish I would have married the other high school sweetheart. Then you go into the dining room, and you see your two kids. You've got two little boys, by the way. And the thought in your head is, oh, I wish I had two little girls. And then you go outside, get in your car. But before you get in, you look across the street, see your neighbor getting into her car, and you think, oh, I wish I were driving that to work. And then you're driving to work, and you pass that business, and you think, oh, I wish I were working there instead of working at my crummy job. And this is the life you live every single day, your whole life. And then you get to the last day of your life. But before you die, the thought in your head is, oh, I, wish, I wish I would have done more, accomplished more. I wish I would, like my childhood friend, he became very successful. He's leaving a way bigger, a better legacy than me. And that's your life. Two things about it. That life would be incredibly sinful and also incredibly miserable, right? And that is what God is guarding when he gives us the ninth and tenth commandments against that kind of sinful life and miserable life. The ninth and tenth commandments are this. They're not on the screen. You can just listen. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, workers, animals, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, covet is not a word we use often, so we've got to define it. Coveting is not wanting. It's not simply desiring. It's not, it's not simply having an ambition or going after something. Because none of those things are wrong. It's not wrong to want, not wrong to desire. It's not wrong to be ambitious and go after something. Um, but God says there's something there is something wrong about coveting, so what's the difference? I've heard it explained this way. When you want something or you desire something or you're ambitious and you're shooting for something, it's like you're the dog and your desire is your tail. And you decide when your tail moves. You're in control of it. You decide when you want to wag it and when it's just going to stay still. You might chase it every once in a while, but you decide when you do it. That's how it is with desires, wants, and ambitions. But with coveting, it's flipped. It's like your desire becomes the dog and you're the tail. And it has you. You can't control it. It comes after you whenever it wants. You're not in charge. It's in charge. Your desire your ambition, it wags you, it drives you. And, and it's constantly chasing you, nipping at you, and eventually, it just eats you up. Coveting, it's no good. It's sinful and miserable. And the Apostle Paul, he presents, you might say, an alternative way at the end of his first letter to the young pastor whose name is Timothy. And I'm going to read, first of all, verses 6 through 10 from 1 Timothy chapter 6. He writes to Timothy, he says, But godliness with contentment 
is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's God's word, and I've got to clarify and make a couple distinctions. Number one, it's not wrong to be rich. He's not saying don't be rich or it's sinful to be rich. He's warning against wanting to get rich. It said those who want to get rich. And secondly, and very similarly, there's nothing wrong with money. It does not say that money is the root of all evil. No, it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He said people eager for money. So it's not, it's not just a want or a desire or an ambition or something you have. It's being eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's nothing wrong with wanting or desiring, but oh, be careful. Because a desire so easily turns into more. And this is something, this is a temptation that is around us every single day in so many different ways. When you look at other people and, and what they have, uh, you might say, I, I wish I had that relationship that, that she has with her husband or with her family or with her friends or with her coworkers. Uh, if I had that relationship, then it would be good. Or, or, or you covet other people's gifts. Like, if I could speak like him or if I had the authority that she had, if I carried myself like she did, if, if I had the charisma, if people liked me like they liked him, oh, life would, life would be different. It would be better. But it's not just other people or things. We even covet the future. We get stuck. And it's difficult to be in this moment because we're always thinking about what comes next because there's got to be something that's better right around the corner. And this starts even from little on, like before kids even go to school. I can't wait till I get to go to school. And then I'm in elementary school. I can't wait till I get to go to middle school. Can't wait till I get to high school. Can't wait till college. Can't wait till my first job. Oh, my first job is not all it's cracked up to be. There must be something better. I can't wait till I get a better job than this. And oh, I've got my dream job, but also I can't wait. I can't wait for retirement. It's like all, all of life, you've done it. I know you have. I have too. And we do it with other, I, one other example would be, would be kids. I've got a few little kids. They've got sniffles. They're at home today. But like we think, oh, my baby was born. Can't wait till they can see me and look at me. Can't wait till they can smile. Can't wait till they can roll over. Can't wait till they can crawl. Can't wait till they can walk. Can't wait till they stop falling over. Can't wait till they go to school. This is exhausting. Can't wait till they're home from school. Like, can't wait till they're out of the house. Can't wait till they're back in the house. You always, like, Catch yourself, you do this, I can't wait until. And it's not wrong to look ahead to something or be excited about something that is promising in the future, but don't let that be the dog that wags you the tail. Or every ad, every advertisement that you ever see, it's not geared just to get you to want something. If it just gets you to want something, that's a horrible ad. 
the point of an advertisement is to get you to want it so badly that you have to go out and buy it right now, maybe that very instant. And social media, same thing. It's just one big covet fest. Like life would be better if you had the highlights of that other person's life. This is kind of an aside, but um, if you're on social media, imagine what it would be like if you just took a month hiatus. You changed your passwords or you came to someone else. I almost was going to say, you let me change your password, but I don't want that pressure. But for a month, you were unable to access any social media at all. At the beginning, you might, you might have the fear of missing out. But imagine what it would be like. I bet it would be pretty great because that temptation to covet the highlights of other people's lives, it would be gone. We covet so much because it's so easy. We get stuck in wanting more than what we have or something different. Um, and we don't just cover the covet the future, we covet the past. You think back to the good old days. Oh, man, if, if I had the relationship that I used to have, if life looked like it used to two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, <laughs> if the world were like it used to be, that would be great. We look ahead and want that. We look to the, we look to the past and want that. None of it's good and none of it is helpful. Hopefully, I've illuminated the fact that we all covet all the time. But why? That's the question, I think. Why do we? And part of me, as I was preparing this, thought, man, you're just going to sound like a broken record because you've said this almost every week for the past nine weeks. But what if it's, what if it's not that I'm a broken record? What if it's that because I'm saying stuff like this over and over again, it's something that we should perk up and really pay attention to. One commentator said, why? Why do we covet all the time? He said, it's because we don't believe the gospel. We don't believe the good news. And you're saying, what? Like, Pastor, I believe that Jesus took away all my sins, that he has eternal life prepared for me, and that that eternal life makes a difference in my life right now, that every moment I can live with the, the certain hope that everything that's wrong will be made right. Like, I believe all that. And of course you do. I do too. We would always say we believe that Jesus is our Savior. But in moments, in so many moments, we covet. And whether it's because we forget it, or in moments that the sinful nature rears up inside of us and, and overtakes us, and when we fail, not when we fail, we fail. We fail so often to believe that in this very moment, and this is the truth, in this very moment, you have absolutely every single thing that you need simply because you have Jesus' love. That is the truth for every single Christian person. But I know for myself, and it's the same for you, so often we forget that or let some other desire overtake it. And I've said that 
almost every single week throughout this Ten Commandments series. Um, and, and you don't need to look far to see that no matter what you think you're missing or what you're looking forward to getting, it will never, ever be enough. And I could give you dozens of examples, but just two. John D. Rockefeller, he was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Tom Brady, some people call him the greatest quarterback of all time. He has seven Super Bowls now. By the time he was 27, he had won the Super Bowl three times. And he said this in numerous interviews throughout the years. But he said after his third Super Bowl win, he said, is this it? Why do I have three rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. And I could share so many other examples. Martin Luther, he said it the best. He said, the quest for glory can never be satisfied. It must always be extinguished. The quest for glory can never be satisfied. It must always be extinguished. In other words, the only way to be free of the slavery of wanting more is for our hearts to be overwhelmed by what we already have in Jesus. Paul said it this way to Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Notice he didn't say, command them that it's wrong to be rich. He didn't say that. The point is not the stuff, it's our attitude about the stuff. Command them not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It can go away. The truth is anything that you have, anything that you value except for God, any of it can go away like that. So don't put your hope in it. He says instead, put their hope, tell them to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then out of fullness, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You can covet, I can covet, just about anything. If you have everything in the world, you can still covet. If you have nothing, you can covet. The truth is, for us as Christians, we have everything. You have everything that you need. And I mean everything. Now, hear, hear my heart here. I'm not downplaying I'm not downplaying your loss, your hardship, your heartache. Because I know, like obviously some of us more than others, but every one of us has those things. So whatever it is that you're missing or that you lost, whether it's a person or a, or a situation or whatever it is, I'm not downplaying it. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be sad or to be heartbroken over it. I'm not saying any of those things. But in a way, that heartache and whatever is missing in your heart, that, it shines a spotlight on just how magnificent Jesus' love must be. Because God doesn't lie. 
And he tells us right now, we have everything we need. It doesn't diminish your pain or your sadness or your loss. It doesn't diminish it at all. It is real and it is valid. All that it does is it amplifies how magnificent Jesus' unconditional love and forgiveness is for you. So when I say, when God says, you have everything, be content, he's not saying, don't be sad about what you don't have, don't miss your loved one, but he is saying, in the middle of all that heartache, my love is truthfully what you need most of all. Now, eight weeks ago, the first week of this series, I quoted a 21-year-old woman named Sydney, who I think the night before had set a world record and had punched her ticket to the Olympics in the 400-meter hurdles. And I quoted what she wrote on Instagram like the day or two after she won the race. Here's what she said. Maybe you remember this. She said, I don't deserve anything. But by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. And she wasn't talking about her victory or her world record. She said, records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Well, a few weeks back, you remember the Olympics, they happened. She won the Olympic gold medal and set another world record. And here's what she had to say. Like, can you imagine the higher, a higher pinnacle in your life? Like, whatever it is you love to do, imagine you, not, you weren't just the best at it right now. You were the best who's ever been. Like, I don't know that there's anything greater in whatever area of life you're thinking about. Here's what she said, though. She said, what I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't seem possible, just because I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires does not mean God has failed. His will is perfect, and he has prepared me for a moment such as this, that I may use the gifts he has given me to point all the attention back to him. I could just close the sermon by saying what I said to the kids. We want and desire a lot of things. Jesus wants you. No matter who you are or what you've done or how you're thinking or how you react to these words or how you're questioning God or anything, Jesus wants you and he proved it because he died in your place. I could just stop there. But I'm going to read one more section of scripture and it's not on the screen because I just want you to take it in. It's from Ephesians chapter 1. And in English, it's not one sentence. But when Paul wrote it down, and I'm not even reading all of it, it was one long, English nerds would call it a run-on sentence. It was like he was just gushing and he couldn't stop and he just threw a comma in there and he kept on going because there was just more goodness and love and promises from God to share. Someone described it as Paul writing with controlled ecstasy, pouring out how much God wants you. Listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to speak it in a run-on sentence, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure, he wants you, and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I want to stop and just explain everything, but just take it all in. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. God's possession to the praise of his glory. There is no elaborate prescription for how not to covet. You've already got the answer. You just heard it. Your heart being, being lavished with God's grace God pouring it out on you abundantly over and over and over again. You hear it when you read the Bible. You hear it from me here. You hear it in songs. I'm bringing this series in for a landing when I say one last time, the commandments, including the ninth and 10th, they're not, they're not meant to be a ladder for us to try and do and climb and get closer to God and, and look better to him. And I'll even say the primary purpose of them is not f- for us to to grow and get better and keep them and have our lives be less miserable. That's not the primary purpose. Secondary, but not primary. The primary purpose is for them to be a brick wall. And if I ever think I can keep them, I I run into them and fall flat on my back. And when I've been knocked on my back, I look up and see the God who wants me. No matter how badly I've messed up. I see the God whose unconditional love is everything that I need. Let me pray on behalf of us all. Dear Lord, I and every other person here, we have a lot of desires and many of those desires uh, aren't bad. You made us beings that want things, that desire things, that have ambition. Direct our deepest desires to you. Speak the wonderful promise, though it's really difficult to take to heart, that no matter the circumstance, no matter what we have or don't have, what we've gained or lost, whether it's a thing, a situation, a person, work it deep in our heart that we have what we really need because we have you. You desired us so much that you came and took the weight of all our guilt and you were blamed for it so that we never would be. Fill us up with your love. Help us desire you. And let the fact that we are full in you, let it lead us to be rich and generous in good deeds, all for the benefit of others. In your name we pray, God, you who desires us. In your name we pray. Amen.